So it's been ages since I've done an intro, so I probably will fuck up. So, do, it, um, do as many takes as you need. Hello and welcome to the History Emporium and Powers podcast. This week, the teacher that all the students no doubt fancy joins me. Paddy is a history teacher based in Canterbury. The topic we tackle is the Titanic. That's a mouthful, isn't it? The topic we tackle is the Titanic. And the things we almost certainly do not know. When Paddy suggested this topic, I was hoping that we would be doing a four-hour audio recreation of the blockbuster movie starring Leo and Kate. Naturally, I would be Kate. I had my wig ready and everything. But enough of my ramblings. Patrick, hello. Hello, Oliver. Thank you very much for having me on. It's been a while, but I am very excited to be here and talking about the most famous ship of all time, with references to the greatest movie of all time on the best podcast of all time. So really, this is going to be a good one. What an absolute charmer, forward slash liar. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I really should have done this as a a YouTube video, shouldn't I? And, And dressed up as Kate Winslet. Absolutely. I think it's the next stage of your online persona. I think it's all been building up to you as Kate Winslet in the year 97. I am... Um, oh, God, is that when it was? Mm. 1997. Mm. Oh, 24 God. years. That's mad, isn't it? I remember um, it coming out and every, because there was like a little bit of a cheeky um, sex scene in it um, with the window and the hand on the glass. Everyone think like, you know, like school kids, they just laugh. Like, ha, 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 sex. And, um, yeah, I just remember it being really naughty and um, thinking it was incredibly um, uh, X-rated, actually, when I first saw it. Oh, me too, yeah. Yeah, I remember at the age of 11 uh, getting changed, well, this is getting very X-rated, getting changed for PE at school and people would do in, in the showers that sort of hand against the window thing. Yeah, yeah. So we are... You know, two cultural icons, Ollie, uh, talking about the cultural icon movie of its day. So, so this is just going to be wonderful, isn't it? It's um, it's like it was meant to be when that film was written in the mid to late nineties. They knew that in two thousand and twenty-one, Patrick and Ollie would be doing a podcast on. Yeah, we're yeah, not even yeah. doing a podcast on the film. We're actually doing a podcast about the real Titanic. So the Titanic, the ship. Okay, so I am going to ask you, uh, why do you think uh, that the Titanic is so popular? I'm going to answer this like a true historian and say I don't know, followed up with about three or four really clear reasons that I researched. Perfect. Did you know in 2020 in China, they started building a replica Titanic as a museum for people to go to. So it's not going to float. It's going to be, you know, just a uh, a replica, one-to-one model of, of the original Titanic, which really surprised me because it strikes me as something that only is in Western culture. But the fact that the, the Titanic would be so popular in China as to build a whole theme park based around the ship 
just blows my mind. So there's a few things to consider. Why is it so popular? Well, it was the biggest ship of all time and it was unsinkable. Wrong. It was the joint biggest ship with its sister ships and no one actually said it was unsinkable but we'll get to that later. So I think there's there's the romance there, isn't there, of a ship on its maiden voyage going to New York. It's very glamorous and then it hits an iceberg and sinks and there's obviously a metaphor there for hmm, man-made machines coming up against nature, nature winning. I think there's I think there's the human interest angle as well of, of a ship sinking quite slowly. There's no one there to rescue you. You know, the Carpathia is miles away. It's not going to get there until most of the people on the ship have died. Hmm. I think there's one other thing, Ollie. I'm about to get really pretentious. Yes, please do. do. So people's memories of the Titanic initially for the first few decades are almost oral history. So people are passing down generation to generation conversations about it. And I think it is symbolic of the end of an era because it, it sunk, you know, in the long sort of stretch of human imagination on the cusp of World War One. And World War One pretty much was a war that shouldn't have happened and totally skewed almost the progressive path of history. So what you've got is you've got this world which is totally imperfect, but there's no communism, there's no fascism, there's no total war, and there's no huge economic depressions, there's no cold war, there's no nuclear weapons. And it just seems that as society looked back on that time, the Titanic became like this romantic view of the world that was lost. And uh, I'm getting so pretentious that I'm actually going to quote from Churchill here. And Churchill wrote that the wars of kings were bad, but the wars of cabinets will be worse, i.e. this idea of like uh, fighting with total revenge, wiping out cities, etc. He, he was of the opinion, I think he wrote that in about 1913, that people fighting war and democracies fighting war would be considerably worse than kings because kings and queens were related and, you know, they could show mercy and whatnot. Hmm. What do you think, Ollie? I, I mean, that's, that's deep. Um, and it's something I've never actually thought about before. I, I, I know that we have a, a, a tendency of romanticising the past, um, even in, in, in modern history. Um, oh, wasn't it so much bat- like better back then? And weren't kids more well-behaved back then? And weren't um, people more hard-working and honest back then? We always look back fondly and in a romanticised view... Uh, yeah, it, I mean, it probably is symbolic. I mean, 1912, um, I mean, you had a year two between then and 1914 when the war broke out. And um, yeah, maybe it was an age of innocence, an age of... Um, uh, an age of... Um, set, like Everyone settled, everyone knew their place. Um, there was a yeah. societal thing going on, wasn't there? So even, even though the, the inequality was huge, um, it was it was it was it was it was based on something, and everyone knew where they stood. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, if, if if we're looking at Britain, it was a total society based on class, 
And then, of course, World War One, just bit by bit by bit, started the process of that setup totally, totally shattering. Mm, because all of a sudden, you've got um, guys of I don't know, eighteen, nineteen, from all different walks of life that would never have socialised before, and all of a sudden they're alongside each other. Mm. So yeah, it was the start mm. of the mix, wasn't it? I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the Titanic is the ultimate embodiment of that class society, isn't it? That mm. you've got the upper class who will not mix with second class, who will not mix with steerage. And it just really, really sums up. And of course, this is uh, total nonsense, what I'm about to say as well. It's a total myth. But this idea of going down with the ship and, you know, the, the, the sense of duty and all, which which people romanticise too. And if there's one thing I can throw in here as well, which I find really interesting, the summers before World War I, so 1911, 12 and 13, were all really, really warm and hot. The weather was great. Mm. And, you know, there's, you can't really prove anything on, on this, but there's something to be said for any oral histories that were done of these years before World War I. People always said, ah, the sun was shining. The sun was always shining. We know, of course, the sun was shining. And I wonder, does the Titanic just embrace that sense of war, war ruining everything? And of course, war does, but there's that society beforehand. Yeah. So, Ollie, to answer your question, why is the Titanic popular? God, who knows? Maybe it's just we love the idea of a massive thing sinking. <laughs> we just really like uh, iron and rivets not working. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Podcast over. Goodbye, everybody. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. Um, I, I, uh, popular, popular culture as well. So obviously, ninety seven, the film came out. Um, that was obviously a really big thing. Um, sort of discovering where the Titanic laid. I knew that was another big thing, and and people wanted to to dig it up and all that kind of stuff. So, um, it. I mean, it's not that long ago, really. Let's think about it. Nineteen twelve. In history, hundred and yeah, yeah, twelve years ago. In the grand scheme of history, it's not that long ago, is it? No, not at all. And and you think how much has changed in that short-ish period of time? Mm. Mm. Matt, absolutely. If you were to paint a picture of nineteen twenty-two to anyone in nineteen twelve, it would seem like the end of the world. It really, really would. So. I've started referring to them as the pandemic years, even though we're still living in them. The pandemic years. Mm, <laughs> I think it... be Spanish flu will be another topic for us to do. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Okay. So the answer is there's an, there's an answer, but there's also not an answer. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now, may I do some true or false questions with you just to get you in the mood for talking about the Titanic? Is there a pass rate? Yes. <laughs> okay, let's do if it. If you get below 50%, I'm hanging up and this podcast is over. Okay, so true or false to each of these questions. Okay. <clears throat> there was usually a pair of binoculars in the crow's nest of the Titanic, but the night that it sank, these went missing. Mm, false. True. Damn. Okay. The Titanic was only half full on her maiden voyage because it was in the middle of a coal strike 
it meant that other shipping lines who were going to transfer their coal and passengers to the Titanics were not actually sailing. So she was carrying 1,300 less passengers than she should have been. Uh, do you know, if this is false, you've gone into loads of detail about it, so I'm going to say true. It is true. Yes. Well done, Ollie. Question three. You had to pay for your meals in the first-class restaurant, but in all other restaurants, in second-class steerage, the meals were all-inclusive. I am... I'm going to say true, and I'll tell you why I'm going to say true. Because uh, rich people like showing off their wealth, don't they? So, um, oh yes, I'll have that. I'll have that bottle of Chardonnay, or I'll have that whatever. So I'm going to say you true. You are absolutely right. Yeah, oh, it was yes. seen as it was seen as exclusive to make people pay for their meals. And mm. just to add an extra fact in that Astor's, as in you know, on the ship, John yeah. Jacob Astor. Yeah. Um, his room cost the equivalent of $100,000 today. For the, the trip from... The ticket. Or sorry, the ticket. The ticket. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I guess if you've got that amount of money, it's probably pennies, isn't it? Mm, yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay. One more for you. Well, actually, I've got several more for you. A Japanese man, a second-class passenger jumped onto a lifeboat and was so disgraced in Japan that until the 1950s he was featured in textbooks of how to behave dishonourably. Because of his behaviour not composing himself, is this what we're saying? Because he saved his life. Because He should have gone down with the ship and it was seen as un-Japanese. I am going to say survive. true. That is true. Yes. He saw one man jumping onto a lifeboat as it was lowered down past him. And he only thought of his, and I quote, beloved wife and children. How dare he think of Mm. his self and his loved ones? Hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So that was true. So you're doing really well. Okay. I've got one wrong so far. Yeah. So two more questions. I think you've passed. Until... The 1960s, no ship would ever sail over the spot where the Titanic sank, just in case they hit one of the dead bodies wearing a life jacket. No, false. No, that's true, man. That is true. What is wrong with people? It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. weird. Oh, too down. Too wrong. The final one for you is, when the bodies of passengers and crew... Unfortunately, dead bodies were brought ashore in Nova Scotia. The local police had to burn their clothes to stop souvenir hunters stealing them. Mm, True. That is true. Isn't that crazy? I mean, hours after their death and people were trying to steal their clothes off them. That doesn't surprise me. Like, people are savage, aren't they? Yeah, there we go. Savages. Ollie, you've passed. You've passed your Titanic trivia quiz. We're doing the rest of the episode. Amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Okay. Well, I have more questions for you. So, um, so why... So, they, they sort of bang on about this unsinkable ship constantly. Why was this ship, this specific ship, seen as unsinkable? Ah, right. Right. 
So, well, there's two main reasons for it. After the ship had sunk, an employee of the White Star Line, you know, the company that, that owned the ship, said that they thought the vessel was practically unsinkable. So they said practically the vessel was unsinkable. So he was talking about those doors that close instantly. Remember in the movies when they flick all the switches and the doors yeah. go down? So that's all true. That was, you know, based on engineering facts, I guess. So that obviously... The bit was... where they shut the boiler rooms off. Mm-hmm. Right, got mm-hmm. yeah. And then the people sort of swim under and some yeah. get left inside, yeah. So that's all true. So they thought that practically the ship was, was, was unsinkable. But then the word practically was soon forgotten. So then the idea of the unsinkable ship came, came into sort of cultural literacy. Now, that's one reason. Another reason is quite interesting that its sister ship, the Olympic, who was the same size, she was setting off from Southampton on her fifth voyage. And as she was passing the Isle of Wight, she collided with a, a Royal Navy ship called HMS Hawk. And neither ship turned on time, so the two ships crashed into one another. And the Hawk, which was a ship that was designed to ram enemy vessels and sink them, mm. actually ploughed right into the side of the Olympic. Wow. And the Olympic not only stayed afloat, but it was able to actually sail to Belfast to be repaired. And it actually took the Titanic's propeller and a few other components, so they were taken off the ship that was being built, and then put on the Olympic, which interestingly put the Titanic's maiden voyage back by three weeks, which meant that it was now iceberg season when the Titanic sailed. But the point being, of course, the Olympic, people thought, oh, this is amazing. So modern ships are totally unsinkable. A modern passenger liner can get hit by a ship that is designed to sink ships and still survive. Therefore, the Titanic must be unsinkable. So there was this huge confidence that this ship would would stay afloat. And actually, had the Titanic have rammed the iceberg head on, it, it would have been fine. It would have stayed afloat because another of its sister ships rammed a U-boat during World War One, and the U-boat sank and it was fine. It's so interesting, isn't it, how it's just... Just everything was just going against it exactly. <laughs> on, on that evening. Exactly. If if anything would have been slightly different, then mm. we wouldn't be here talking about the Titanic, and we wouldn't exactly. have, have had that beautiful film with uh, yeah. Leo and Kate, <laughs> and that beautiful scene of the engine room. Now, there's one other thing as well, which ties into the ship being unsinkable. The ship. And of course, we understand today, no ship can be unsinkable, you know, it, it, it just doesn't make sense. However, it wasn't designed to be unsinkable because there was this new invention of radios, of these Marconi machines that would uh, broadcast out messages. So the idea was that you didn't have to make the ship unsinkable. You just had to design it so that it would sink slowly and your radio man, your Marconi man, as they were called, would be broadcasting out messages for help as little SOS messages, and somebody would come to the ship's rescue before it sank. So it was actually a very calculated move that if you design your ship to sink slowly, then everyone will get rescued, and actually it can probably just be towed back to port. I mean, 
like I can see their thinking and I can it's see their rash, market, their rationale behind it. I mean, mm. you're of the age of like iron and steel and rivets and brr, manly things, um, unsinkable with the best, blah blah blah. But it's mm. interesting mm. that they've um, they accident accidentally in quotation marks took away that um, that one word uh, practically unsinkable mm. when. Actually, that's not what he said. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah, been misquoted. Exactly. But some—that's mm. uh, humans down to a T, isn't it? We um, we hear what we want to hear, and um, we. So you tell one person one thing, it gets changed in normally in favour of what they want you to hear, mm. mm-hmm. and what mm. what sounds good. So, yeah, really interesting. Um, I have more questions. Bring it on. So, uh, quite famously, again, I'm going to re- refer to the film constantly here um, because I can. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, there's this this uh, this motion that there were there were there were not enough lifeboats. Like, why were there not enough lifeboats? Um, there, they could have saved everyone if there were more. Um, so, like, how true in the, how how true is this and and why were there, if this is true, so few lifeboats? I think that's one of the many things, and I think we're going to get on to this later, that the movie got right. So it was thought that, you know, the, the lifeboats take up deck space, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, yeah, there's, there, there's a grain of truth to that as well. But I think it also comes back to the idea of confidence in the engineering brilliance of, you know, Harlan the Wolf and Belfast. And also the idea of radio capability. So you could send a radio message at the time 400 miles away. Mm. And, you know, as the Titanic was sailing down the English Channel, someone in Egypt sent a message to them and and they received it. You know, someone uh, messaged them from Tenerife and they received it. So there was this idea that, well, you're not really going to need lifeboats because someone will come to your rescue really quickly. Uh, It was a total, total gamble which, as we know, didn't pay off in the slightest. But I think that's something that largely just the movie got right. The thing is, in ships and that have been sailing from sort of the UK to America for a while. <laughs> it wasn't like a new voyage either, was it? Yeah, it was, exactly, um, exactly. So yeah, it I'm wasn't unknown this... for, for that route to, to happen. Yeah, and you're right. It was a really busy shipping route. So, of course, you would be seen... And, uh, spoiler alert, there was a ship nearby who actually watched the Titanic sink and, you know, were uh, desperate to get in contact with it and, and, and couldn't for reasons which we will discuss later. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there would be a confidence that, well, if people are going to be coming past you quite regularly and your ship is designed to sink slowly, then you don't really need lifeboats. Okay, so that's just blown my mind. There was a, there was a ship watching as the Titanic sank. This is mad, right. So there was a ship, a British Leyland ship called the Californian, and it was close enough to sail and and, and rescue people from the Titanic. Now, it was sailing back and forth. It was a cargo ship, and let me see, at 10.21pm in the Californian, they were sailing along the same sort of sheet of ice as as the Titanic. 
no, that's the wrong phrase, doesn't it? A sort of ice, an area of the Atlantic Ocean where there's loads of icebergs. An icy part of the sea. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, to use the technical <laughs> phrase. We're sailing in an icy part of the sea. And this man, a 24-year-old man named Charles Groves, saw white patches in the water ahead. He thought it was a school of porpoises, you know, jumping up and down. Mm. He went to his captain, Stanley Lord, and he immediately uh, put the ship's engines into reverse. They stopped the Californian. It came to a stop, uh, and he pretty much said, right, we're stopping here. This is it. It's way too dangerous for us to continue. And they just sat among icebergs, icebergs banging into the side of, of the Californian. You know, these men were sort of writing in their diaries that they could just hear, you know, the thump, thump, thump of ice against the ship. And they were essentially parked up. And of course, you know, when you're parked up, you've got nothing to do, you're bored. And uh, they were looking round in the distance. And as the night went on, they, and I'm going to come back to what was happening in their radio room, but for now, there was men up on the on the deck, working on the Californian, staring at the Titanic, just going and, and talking to each other, saying, like, oh God, I can see they've stopped as well. And then they saw the lights flicker, then they saw the ship go up a little bit, and they were too scared to wake up their captain, who had said, don't bother me. So these two men watched the Titanic sink and just thought, no, 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 it's fine. I, I couldn't possibly wake up my boss and, and, uh, and, and get yelled at. Now, the little bit of logic that was applied was that this guy, Charles Groves, had worked with P&O ferries in the Far East. And apparently it was common for ships to dim their lights at around midnight to encourage everyone to go to bed. Okay. So they thought, okay, well, maybe that's what's happening in... Uh, in the Titanic. Now, this fella Groves then went down, you know, I'd been looking at the Titanic, thought nothing of it, thought, I'm not gonna wake up my boss, I'm gonna go to bed. So he went down into his room and the wireless operator, a guy called Cyril, was in bed. Now Groves wanted to retrain as somebody who could run a wireless machine and he wanted to have a go at the equipment. But his mate Cyril had just worked a 16-hour shift and had been offended by the man messaging him on the Titanic, who, we'll, who we will get to. And um, he tried to wake up his friends and said, you know, can, can I use the machine? And Evan said, it's only the Titanic nearby. No. And Groves picked up the wireless headphones. There was nothing on there. He really wanted to use the wireless machine, but he didn't realize you had to wind it at the back. So he put the headphones back on the table, said goodnight to his mate, turned out the light and went to sleep. And about eight miles away, the Titanic was sinking. So there's so many what wow. ifs there. What if he woke up um, Captain Lord? What if he wound up the machine? Because then he would have heard the Titanic, you know, f- furiously sending The SOS, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But again, as you say, it's... Um, it's almost like fate was conspiring against it. All the different factors that could have saved the ship. Well, at this stage, not the ship, but at least some of the people on it. It just wasn't to be. I mean, yeah, that's incredible. I mean, I had no idea that there was a ship that close. And mm. I mean, I mm. guess, I mean, eight miles is still 
quite a distance. But mm-hmm. if you're in the sea and there's literally enough, enough, no light pollution, no nothing between you and them, okay, there's some ice. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> it's uh, it's yeah, it's not the, it's not the warmest of times, but um, yeah, the the what ifs and and what could, what could have been, um, and so many factors in there. To be fair, I've I've worked for people that I wouldn't dare wake up. As well. It's funny that, isn't it? Yeah, me too. I can picture loads of people that I've worked for that I wouldn't dream of waking them up. Um, oh, yeah, because your head would be on the chopping block. Yeah, yeah. Or you'd yeah. be, especially in them times, you could probably still be, like, court-martialed or hung. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? For, like, like <laughs> disciplines. Or at least, like, given, like, the belt around the face or something. There was no... Um, there was no unions and stuff back then, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. That's, um, right. That's right, yeah. Yeah, so uh, you kind of did as your employer said <laughs> or yeah, yeah. yeah and if they said don't wake you don't wake me up don't wake me up it's almost like a phrase you used earlier ollie that people knew their place and mm. i think that mentality ties into it that even today in the 21st century you know you and i've probably worked for countless supervisors team leaders bosses whatever mm. we can picture people that we would not wake up 100 i think in the world of pre-world war one in a really rigid class and rank based society you probably wouldn't wake up your boss if they'd said, don't wake me. No, 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 no. Because, uh, uh, again, you're probably, you. I don't know, you may feel privileged that you've got that job when you're working for a, a uh, an organisation or a company that um, you could potentially climb the ladder. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're, you're, you're not going to piss people off, basically. Yeah, yeah, you're um, right. You're absolutely right. So, yeah, amazing. Like, just I genuinely had no idea about that they don't put that in the 1997 film do they well here's the thing ollie i think now that i've done my research for for this for this episode for this lesson i I forgot about that yeah i think that all of the different narratives and storylines and coincidences coincidences of the titanic actually would make it a really fantastic series rather than a movie because, you know, you can cut backwards and forth from all these different characters involved, which the movie, of course, doesn't cover. It's, it's too much. It's a love story, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think even without going into any fiction, there's, there's a real opportunity here, um, which is where I want to pitch to you a villain of this story, if I may. Absolutely. I mean, I normally like a villain... <laughs> I might not like this one. I think you relate to them, but I don't think you'll relate to this guy. Okay. Right. Okay, so I've been hinting throughout, and I've been talking throughout about the importance of radio messages. Mm. So we're talking like Morse code, you know, the dee 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 yeah. Incidentally. That was very good. Thank you very much. You should uh, be a voice actor on the radio. Like jingles <laughs> are amazing. All building towards it, Ollie. All building towards it. Um, for our older listeners, do you remember the Nokia 3210 and the 3310 when they would go dee 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 Yeah, absolutely. That was Morse code for SMS. No, it wasn't. Mm, it was, yeah. Shut yeah. up. Yeah, no way. Message tones, yeah, yeah. I, I can hear it so clearly in my yeah. head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Younger, younger listeners, look it up. Um, yeah, like, uh, what, educated. Like, what's, what's a Nokia? Oh, God, yeah, yeah, exactly. Nokia was all the rage, everyone. 
I'll have you know. Mm. Indestructible phones. Mm. I think I've still got one lying around somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, where are we? But this, the Titanic was a long time before the days of, of Nokia's and 3210's and whatnot. So I've talked about the, uh, yes, radio operators. Now, radio operators on, you know, White Star and ships like the Titanic, the Olympic, weren't employed by White Star Line. They were employed by the Marconi company. So it was almost subcontracted out. These men would come in with their machines. They were uh, they were uh, young men who had to be between the age of 21 and 25. They had to be ambitious. It's very specific. And really specific. And they actually had their own language. So when they were sending messages, they would say, you know, like we might say mates or whatever, buddy today, they would say old man. And sometimes they would type, you know, I say old boy. So that real old British public school way of speaking. Yeah, yeah. So they would use that in a lot of their messages. And actually, when I went, it probably sounded, you know, I'm actually from Belfast, so I've been to the Titanic Museum there. And I found it really weird that the messages, and it's quite a nice display in the museum where you can see the last messages that, that this man that I'm about to talk about sent. They sort of use old boy a lot. And I thought that's really weird, almost like unprofessional. But um, no, it was part of this culture that the Marconi company had, had developed. Now, the Marconi company, of course, would charge an absolute fortune to any ship that wanted to use one of their machines. And ships would pay it because mm. you were getting this lifeline of a message. Was this like the, the Apple and the Huawei of the time? Do you, do you know what I would say is? I would say it's like planes having Wi-Fi now. Okay. Do you remember when that became like a huge thing, planes getting Wi-Fi? I'm still on been on one that has I mean, I don't ever think I've been on one that has one. (laughs) No. I mean... Well, actually, in 1912, only 400 out of 20,000 British ships had a wireless operator. So I think that shows us that this was, you know, this was only the most expensive companies. Every time you say wireless operator, I just want to sing smooth operator. (laughs) Smooth operator. (laughs) Sorry, go on. Oh dear, no, that's fine. So, so these men really wouldn't have much to, to do on the ship because the ship then, with new technology, wouldn't really have a need to send that many messages. And of course, a lot of them were iceberg warnings. But you know, the men on the Californians sent iceberg warnings, and they just kind of left it at that. There was nothing else to do. Mm. But on a passenger liner like the Titanic. There was a huge moneymaker here for the Marconi company because they would send or charge a huge amount to send Marconigrams, which were, let's just say, that they were telegrams. They were the tweets of their day. So ah. cost, um, let me see. So you could send shows. it to your mates? Yeah. So you would send a message. Uh, you know, it was essentially instant. You know, it would be sent to... If you're on the Titanic, you're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. It was sent to Cape Cod. Where was it? It was sent to Cape... Yes, to Cape Cod Station. And then they would send instantly the message to New York. And then a telegram boy would then quickly bring the message to whoever you were sending it to. How fancy. mm, So this was the height of sophistication showing off. So you would get a typed postcard from a ship. That and the ship was still at sea, so we've got loads of examples of these, of these messages. Now, they cost. 
Mm. And I've got written down here 12 and a half shillings. Now, unfortunately, I haven't done my research enough to say what that would roughly be today. But I it's, it's really hard to um, convert money sometimes. Yeah, and I know there's lots of different spreadsheets you can download. I think the, the British Museum has one, but it just um, it just gives you a rough sort of a, a rough figure. But I said you would pay nine pence per word after ten words, so you were really buying a ten word message. So I'll read out some for you now. I mean that's quite expensive considering like a loaf of bread used to be like a penny or two. Hmm. Hmm. Yes, I mean I imagine it would be really expensive. Mm. So we've got some messages here. Hello, boy. Dining with you tonight in spirit. Heart with you always. Best love, girl. Isn't that quite sweet? <laughs> she um, not have a name, girl. Well, it must have been like a little sort of, you know, in joke in their like relationship. A, li- a little boy, ditty. Best love, girl. Yeah. And um, what other ones do we have? Um, reserve two rooms with bath and single. Arriving Wednesday. Fortune. Not great. Let me see. Rosie greatly improved. Eats well, sleeps well. Dave. No, Dave. Dave. Yeah. Dave. No seasickness. All well. Notify all interested. Poker business is good. Ow. I mean, they get stuff done. They are like a tweet, aren't they? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're like a tweet. Yeah. And actually, um, or a tweet's just... like them, should I say? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, it it reminds me of a story that that uh, my mum would tell me a lot, and that she she grew up in Belfast. Both my parents are from Belfast, and her dad, my grandfather, would take my mum and her siblings up walking Cave Hill, which is you know one of the big hills that looks over Belfast. Mm. They would go up walking every Sunday, and um, you know just get out of the house, go for a walk or whatever after mass. And my granddad would essentially say right if i'm sending a telegram this must be in the 1960s mm. and i have to pay you know i have to pay per letter how are you going to send a message back to, to your mother so he would say you know here's an example i'm in germany on business but i can't get my flight back what do you say in as few as words possible and she said they'd always play this game when when they were going for walks and stuff like that and it's quite sweet but i, I and i don't know i just love hearing that story but I think it goes to show that even in the 1960s, telegrams were a massive thing. Mm. And I think it's something that we've just, I don't know, through, I guess, through the fax machine and SMS messaging and WhatsApp, etc. We've just totally lost. But I guess telegrams were a thing that happened quite regularly at the time. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, yeah, definitely. I mean, even, um, so I watch a programme um, called The Royal. <laughs> so it's, uh, it, it, it's based in the 1960s um mm-hmm. sort of so it's a spin-off of heartbeat basically i don't know if anyone's seen that oh my god so heartbeat, which um, is on a sunday evening yeah so it's based mm. uh, i mean obviously it was made in the 80s 90s but it mm-hmm. was based mm-hmm. in the 60s um in yorkshire and they very much used telegrams in hospitals and stuff yeah. um it's only the last like 50 years that it's kind of disappeared. Well, actually, the, a, a future episode that I want to do with you, and I've done all the research for it because I'm a total history geek, is the fax machine. And the fax machine, yeah, almost definitely put, um, put uh, all of these telegram companies out of business. You know I've never used a fax machine. Really? I mm. thought you'd... Correct me if I'm wrong. Doesn't your office have a fax machine? No. Oh, okay. No, that was a Somebody joke earlier. Knew. 
Uh, <laughs> I was yes, I was trying to be funny. Ye, uh, ye old fax machine. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, no, it listen, doesn't have I've, a fax machine. I've totally gone away from the uh, the villain of the Titanic. Yes, yeah, so okay, we're on the Titanic. The Titanic is steaming at twenty one miles an hour towards this massive field of sea ice, which um, doesn't seem that fast. But I guess it is well, if no, you've got no, a large. Yeah, if you've got a large ship which can't really break, but also as well, the general rule was you don't go more than five miles an hour if there's even a hint that there's going to be ice. Um, oh, wow, so they're going triple. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. And that was a rule well, set by Shackleton. So, you know, that was, that, that was his go-to. It was, you know, five knots, which roughly equates to five miles an hour. Mm. If there's ice, you do not go over that speed. And of course, he'd taken that, you know, from this British naval tradition, blah, blah, blah. So the Titanic was doing several times faster than it should have been. Now, this man, whose name was, as Paddy frantically goes through his notes... Oliver Green. Oliver Green. It's me. um, Albert Bride. So he was working the, the, the Marconi room. And he was frantically sending all of these messages because almost everyone in the Titanic who had a spare couple of bob wanted to send a message mm. to uh, to <clears throat> to their relatives in America. Now, um, he was receiving a lot of messages about icebergs. Now, for a message to be sent directly to the captain, it had to have the, the prefix MSG, Master Service Gram which meant that as soon as you received this message, then you take it straight to the big man upstairs. Now, many of the ice warnings that Albert Bride received didn't have MSG on them. Because the people sending them thought, obviously this is gonna go to the captain. We're warning that your ship could sink. But he was so busy, he uh, didn't bother. So what you had was, uh, let me see, there was a ship called the America, spelt I-K-A at the end, past two large icebergs uh, and then it gives the, the coordinates and then signs off. He ignored that one. We've got a Greek steamer called the Athenae, said again, passing icebergs and large quantities of field ice today, latitude, longitude, blah, blah, blah. A German oil tanker, the Deutschland, sent one, blah, blah, blah. But uh, this man, Albert, would not, or did not, take any of these up to the up to the bridge now what we if we go back to the californian and our friend cyril evans so when the californian stopped and they saw icebergs they were surrounded by sea ice captain lord said to cyril evans uh send out a message would you just you know do what you're meant to do give our location so the californian sends a message say old man we are surrounded by ice and stopped. Albert Bride got this message and he replied, shut up, shut up, I am busy. Oh, so that's the link where you said he'd annoyed yeah. them. Yeah. So at that stage, no. I mean, and it actually, to be fair, in, I mean, that's quite rude now, but uh, back then when you're talking of, 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 of class and people knowing their places, that would have been like 
outrageous yeah. to say that. Yeah. And also as well, it was a Marconi employee to another Marconi employee. <gasps> Do you reckon they had beef? Well, we will never know. But here's the thing, right? So if we try to justify it for Albert Bride in the Titanic, he was wearing those headphones... And this would have come across at a deafening level because the California was so close. But Evans gets so insulted, as you would, someone's told you to shut up, you're, you're, you've been working for 16 hours. Mm. So he took his headset off and went to bed, put on his pyjamas and started reading a magazine and went to sleep. Oh, God. So the, yeah, so the California now had no wireless connection with the outside world. He thought, well, screw the Titanic if they're going to be so rude. Mm. And... So then, of course, when the Titanic hits an iceberg and Albert Bride is frantically, frantically sending out messages, I think a part of his franticness, if that is a correct word, mm. is knowing that there's a ship nearby which isn't responding. Um, God, mm. and he's potentially caused, well, he has caused that riff. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. God, it's, it's like the, you don't, you never, it's like the human story behind it as well mm. like mm-hmm. there's so many people involved and mm. um by just making those remarks and stuff again could have changed a, yeah. a course of history mm. Mm. that's probably exactly. just too too although they're they've got pretty decent jobs to lower employees yeah yeah exactly just exactly. having a bit of a, a, a tiff between them no, I- yeah, I mean, of course, there's every chance that the captain of the California would have said, well, we're surrounded by icebergs. I, we're not going to the Titanic to help them. Because mm, I suppose they, they, they've got to look out for themselves as well, haven't they? Mm. It's mm. like I did, uh, I did uh, so fire safety training very recently, and there's a massive thing about don't go back into a building if, to save somebody because then that's an extra life. That mm. they've got to find, mm. <laughs> stay mm. out, <laughs> like, mm. and let the professionals deal with it. So mm. it's kind of you've got to look out for yourself before others. Exactly. Um, actually, sorry, that phrase you said there, "stay out," reminds me of another message sent by um, our man on the Titanic. Um, a ship called the Frankfurt was nearby, so the Titanic had said, "We're putting the women off in small boats. Are there any ships?" Yeah, we're putting the women off in small boats. The Frankfurt replies, are there any ships around you? Titanic ignores it. The Frankfurt sends another message. What's up, old man? As if, you know, are there ships around you? Mm. And the Titanic replies, you fool, stand by and keep out. So a ship is asking, how can I help? And the Titanic says, do you know what? Leave me alone, you fool. Wow. Mm. Do you think by this point, like, panic had set in and you know people act erratically sometimes when they're not in control or yeah but what an odd thing to say and it was only the it was only the one sort of chap that was sort of in the titanic Mm -hmm. passing these messages on it wasn't like an array of staff so it was yeah because it was such a skilled uh, such a skilled job that no one else could actually do it. So you'd be typing really, really, uh, really hastily. Now, the, the thing is, that, like you said earlier, there's a human side to this story, absolutely. So the Titanic wireless operator would have been totally stressed knowing that he's probably about to die. Um, and the thing is as well, as 
the ship is sinking, the power on the ship is going down. So the electricity <sighs> coming to his machine is yeah, going yeah, down. Yeah. So he didn't have a wind-up machine. He, uh, you know, one that was plugged in. Mm. So the wireless signal was really weak. So all these other ships weren't getting all of Titanic's messages. I was going to say, could it? Could he not have said that? Could it have been misread or misheard? No, no, he did. Yeah, he definitely would have said that because. <laughs> but I imagine he was getting frustrated with his kit because the technology wasn't working properly. Yeah. Oh, wow, mm. that's so interesting. I literally had no idea. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. What I, I suppose you don't think about these things necessarily when you're watching the 1997 <laughs> Titanic film. Um, again, do you see how I keep referencing it back? Would you like me to talk about the movie? Yes. Okay. Let me talk about what the movie got right. Okay, so I imagine you've seen it at least 15 times. Oh, a million times. I actually want to tell you a funny story after you've told me your bit okay well right what did the movie get right the gates in between third class and all the other passengers do you remember when those were sort of locked on the yeah uh, yeah they break through those gates um yeah american law said that there had to be gates between third class and everyone else to prevent <laughs> the spread of disease what that's mm. insane mm. um the there was a passenger on the ship her name was Helen Candy. And every day she would go to the front of the ship, stand over the edge and pretend <gasps> that she was flying. No mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. That's right. I thought that was definitely artistic license. Mm-mm. She did that. And oh my she... God, is she brave or stupid? I don't know if that's the... Well, well, she was, let me see, well, both, I guess, but she was the author of an international bestseller, How Women May Earn a Living. So she would have um, she would have written about her experience on the ship quite a lot. So it wouldn't have taken much for James Cameron in the 97 movie to get this idea from what she did. Oh, that's insane. I didn't know that. Wow. Okay. Mm. Right. What else do we have? That whole scene where they see the iceberg, iceberg dead ahead, iceberg dead ahead. Yeah. Um, hard to start words, yeah, word for words. That's that's what happens. Really? So when they're yeah. up on the, I don't know what the, the thing's called. The, the crow's the, nest. The basket on the top <laughs> mm-hmm. is what I shall refer to it as. Mm. Um, I, I, can you imagine if you, you, you saw that and you started ringing the bell and you were like, shit. Mm. Like... And knowing that you didn't have binoculars as well. And no, yeah, yeah. Uh, why were they missing? Mm. Mm, um, someone's just taken them to bed, didn't they? That's what's happened. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do it all the time at work. Like, I, so we carry radios around with us, and um, I've quite often come home and I've had the radio in my pocket, and I've been like, "Oh, for God's sake!" <laughs> like, <laughs> desperately broadcasting to other historical locations. Yes. Um, let me see. What else do we have? Um, third class passengers did play football with ice when the when the ship hit the iceberg. Oh well, I suppose they're making the best out of a bad mm. Ooh, situation. Also, you know the bit in the movie. Sorry, you could tell that I love the movie when there was two really posh men mm. and they were dressed in their best and they've said we are dressed up in our best. We are prepared to go down like gentlemen. Yeah. Yeah. 
Guggenheim. That's one of the Guggenheims. Word for word true. No way. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I don't know. To keep your dignity mm. until the bitter end. No, there's... Oh, there's so many bits that clearly James Cameron did his research before writing the script or whoever wrote the script. Now, there was a woman who was getting onto a lifeboat and she was getting on with her maid and then uh, she was on the boat the boat was about to go down the lifeboat was about to go down and then she took off her fur coat gave it to her maid and said I won't be needing it she jumped back onto the ship and then she said to her husband where you go I go isn't that lovely? I mean... I mean, she died, you know, but but still. And I think there's something in there, like, wow. when you jump, I jump. Remember that line from the movie? Yeah, that's... Mm. Um, that's so um, selfless, mm. isn't it? Mm. And again, I think uh, it's really easy for us. We've, again, with the film and, and the films that have been made before, and I'm sure there'll be films made after, books that have been written and stuff. Mm. These were, like, real people... Yeah, in real it, situations. Yeah, where you go, I go. It's so sweet. Um, now there is one thing that the movie didn't get right, and actually, the boat didn't sink. <laughs> no. Ship, sorry, ship. This is a really technical point, which I won't understand, but hopefully, some of our listeners could and could explain it in basic terms. Essentially, steam wasn't heading to the engines of the ship. So pressure in the boilers was rising massively. And this meant that each boiler, and we're talking like huge boilers, Mm. were close to exploding. So their steam was rising out of these whistles. And apparently the noise was deafening. So no one could hear anyone else in, in conversation until... Twenty minutes before the ship sank. Wow. Mm. So, when she said "Where you go, I go," she probably yelled it to him. But people said it was like having, you know, their frame of reference for the loudest thing was, of course, a steam train. So they said it was like having thirty locomotives all whistling. At, at, so at is this because they they were starting to flood, or they were they had the propellers in reverse trying to push back, or? It was just overpowered and overworked, which is why the steam was... Well, let me see. So the steam from the boilers, the massive boilers, were heating up huge amounts of water, Mm -hmm. turning them into steam. Ah, but the steam wasn't going to the propellers because the propellers wouldn't work. Ah, they just buckled or Mm -hmm. faltered or... Mm -hmm. And the steam needed to go somewhere. So it went out of the safety valves, creating a huge noise. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, that's why you get a whistle in a kettle, isn't it? Like mm. The old kettles yeah. that you put yeah. on the thing, because it needs mm. to go somewhere. Um, that's right. Yeah, okay, so not only was there water coming up, 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 it was also so loud that you... I mean, and, and, and that... I mean, we all know, like, when a fire alarm goes off or an alarm of some description and some of them are very very loud you mm. can't hear yourself think can you you can't um concentrate mm. um uh, uh, uh one of the reasons again why 
I mean I specifically, but say I've got my music up quite loud and I'm driving around. If I need to concentrate, I'll turn it down because mm. I need to mm. I need to focus. I need to not have that distraction. So having that loud noise in that chaotic tragic situation is going to make you it must have been probably, so so unsettling yeah and um, and and you probably wouldn't be able to communicate and understand what's going on hmm. mm-hmm. um so obviously in the movie they didn't do that because then it would just be a whole movie of people shouting and um, the band did play nearer my god to thee that was the last song that that people heard the, the band that's such play. a sad scene I know. Like right oh. at the end, and then they show the mm. the 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 mum and the two children, mm-hmm. and the, the the waters rising. Oh, yeah, oh honestly, amazing. yeah. I'm a, I'm not an emotional person, but even that gets me. Yeah. Now, let me see. Oh, there's another bit. Um, you know when um Kate and Leo are up at the top of the ship, and yeah. Kate. This is such a weird reference to get right. Kate turns around. Sorry, Rose to Whippicator turns round and <laughs> sees a man in a white tuxedo mm. taking a big sip of alcohol from a hip flask and then he puts it in his pocket. Yeah. He was a baker on the ship who was absolutely hammered and he'd been drinking all night and then he thought, oh, for God, just my luck, I'm, you know, for want of a better phrase, I'm pissed and I'm about to die. And he actually was so drunk that when he got into the water, he didn't panic in the slightest. Floated around for a little bit and mm. eventually just worked his way over <laughs> to, to a lifeboat who rescued him. And he had the ultimate party story for the rest of his life. He got so drunk that he, he survived, survived the, the Titanic. Titanic. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I suppose it settles your nerves, I guess. Mm, yeah, I mean, or absolutely. to be fair, it goes one way or the other. It could either settle your nerves or it can make you panic more. Mm. So mm-hmm. uh, I guess luckily for him, it was the uh, the, the yeah, first it was, one. It, yeah. it was the good one. And there was a couple of cars that were brought on the Titanic. So there was, you know, probably a car where two young lovers could get up to no good. And, <laughs> but moving on now, can I do a little section called what would Ollie do? I'm not sure you want to know any of the answers to this, but yeah, <laughs> I'm fine. I'm not um, Okay, so I've got a couple of people here. Okay. And, no, not with me, personally. I was going to say, is it the twins? Is it the twins? No, the twins are fast asleep upstairs, although my wife did have to gesture to me to be quiet at the start of the episode because they kept crying. Um, it's night time, by the way, listeners. Okay, so I've got a couple of people here and we've got a huge amount of primary sources from the Titanic. So, I don't think you'd be this person, but I'm just going to check. So there was a woman called Esther Hart, and she was terrified that the ship would sink. So from from, from the moment that the ship left the dock, she wore a life jacket, refused to sleep, sat on her bed, refused to do anything, and she was absolutely convinced that the ship would sink. And as soon as it hit an iceberg, she instantly got her husband up and he said, it's nothing, there's nothing wrong. She said, Ben, go on deck, go up on deck and find out what is wrong. The whole family survived. Well, I mean, no, that wouldn't have been me. That's not you, no. no. Yes, there was a man called Elmer Taylor. 
and he was traveling with his business partner Fletcher Williams. Now, if that isn't a sort of you know pre-homosexuality being made, legal, <laughs> it's like they were definitely just friends. <laughs> they were business partners, and that is it. They shared a cabin, yeah. but it was to do business. Yeah, yeah. They uh, they just travel together. Okay? Yeah. There was nothing untoward here. They needed to be in the same room just to discuss business. They were things. really, really, really good friends. Exactly. They were very close. <laughs> and now, Taylor, Elmer Taylor, went into his friend Fletcher Williams' room. And uh, he, oh my God, the more I read this, Ollie, these guys were definitely a couple. So he went into his business partner's room, same room, and he essentially saw his business partner sitting up in bed in his dressing gown, smoking a huge cigar, sipping a glass of whiskey. And he looked up at his friend when he came in and said, we have struck an iceberg. Have a drink. I brought you a piece of ice to put into it. So he hands his friend a whiskey and drops a piece of ice from the iceberg in. I mean, that is that is just classy. I think that is as sexy as it is classy, isn't it? I, I mean, I hope the dressing gown was silk with paisley pattern. Mm, mm. And the third option of what would Ollie do? Would you be this guy that I think deep down we all wish we were? Mm. A first-class passenger come out of the A deck lounge with a full bottle of Gordon's gin. Downed it in one and passed out. Uh, I can't even have a sip of gin without feeling a bit (laughs) ropey. So I've just been to Glasgow and I'm still recovering from um, the Glaswegians up there. And um, I had half half of what they had. So I am going to say number two. Yeah, so you're the man with his business partner. I am the closeted homosexual. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, I'm not. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah. So you're the guy in your dressing gown, let's call it a robe, smoking Mm. a huge cigar, sipping a whiskey, and in your whiskey is ice from the iceberg, which is probably going to lead to your death. Yeah, I can see it, man. I can see it. Yeah, I would rock that, I think. I think you would. I think Mm. you would. And thus concludes all I have to say about the Titanic. I love the Titanic. I'm so glad that you came up with the suggestion of doing this because there's we could have gone down the traditional road of Titanic and Titanic podcasts, but again, we do everything... Um, we do it a little differently in this podcast. do it a little bit differently and we do it a little bit uh, crudely... Uh, uh, and I hope we do it with a little bit of, um, although we've had a laugh, a little bit of sensitivity as well. These were genuinely real people who um, sadly like lost their lives um, in 1912. April the... Remind me. I'm going to say 14th. April the 14th, 1912. Yeah, mid-April anyway. April 1912. No, I pride myself both as a history teacher and as someone who chats to me on podcasts um, that when I'm talking about something history-wise, even if someone knows a lot about the topic, I pride myself in giving facts that people don't know. And I'm pretty sure I've done that. I'm pretty sure there must be at least one fact in this episode that even Titanic experts did not know. Well, there's quite a few that I didn't know. There's there's a ship being nearby. There's Mm. a specific... Mm. um, 
uh, operators that were kind of brought on board that had nothing to do with the the ships ultimately and it was um the the pre-tweet of its day um there <laughs> are genuine things from the film that I thought were made up the uh the the flying on the end of the ship the I'm flying Jack mm. and all that mm. jazz um mm. now I, I I'm going to put you on the spot here I don't know if you know the answers to this but these are some rumors that I've heard um about the Titanic so the a lot of the photographs that are credited to be the Titanic are not actually the Titanic, are they? They're the sister ship. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's. I mean, I I, I have read that. Um, it's it's debated amongst the circle, but everyone everyone believes. Uh, that the sister ship was basically just a it was a mirror copy, so it was exactly the of same, course, yeah. exactly. same interiors, exactly. same yeah. gymnasium, same really famous staircase that went up, and the photos are said to be of the I don't even know what it's called. Is it the Lutania? Lutania? Because the, there was more than Lusitania? one, wasn't it? Lusitania. That's it. Mm. Rather than. The Titanic. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, incidentally, oh mm. God, I can't believe I forgot this, but I, the Irish character in it, the man who designed the ship, is it Andrew Roberts? No, what's his name? I is can't think of, uh, I can't um, look at him straight because he's the baddie in Legally Blonde. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. He's like the pervert in Legally Blonde. Ah. He's the pervert teacher. Thomas Andrews. Who did I say? Andrew I loved that, um, that nice uh, typing sound that we've got. I know, I know, I'm sorry. He actually, well, he, he, he existed. He, you know, he talks to Rose and, he, and, you know, with this really cheesy Irish accent, he would not have spoken like that because he was a, you know, God-fearing Protestant from Belfast. And um, he actually lived next door to my primary school. Um, but he was last seen. And he's and on he, the show today. Yeah. <laughs> He was last seen standing next to the clock. You know, when Kate sees him and he's, yeah. he's fixing the time of the clock. He, history looked on him really fondly because he left behind like a six-month-old baby, a two-year-old, five-year-old. Uh, I think society at the time would have forgiven him if he got off if he got off the ship. But no, he, he went on with the ship. He, he would have been riddled with guilt that a ship that he designed didn't, didn't survive. Um, Ismay, who's uh, one of the villains in the movie, yeah, he was socially ostracised for years. Wow! For the way he behaved, for sneaking on to for sneaking on to, to a life raft. Listen, I've just said many's a fact after saying that that's everything that I have said about the Titanic. You have got a safe full of Titanic facts that are just waiting to burst out at any moment. So, do you want do you want one more one? This is the last Absolutely, one. Absolutely, yeah. I'm going to bed. Do you know when if someone says, like in a really old-fashioned way, give us a wee number there, like a song. Mm. Give us a wee number in the piano. Give us a wee number on the flute or whatever. That comes from the White Star Line book of, I think it was 312 songs, 352 songs, which had a number. So you could do a request to the band on the Titanic. It would say, 175, and they would play tune number 175. How many songs did it have in it? 352. So oh, that's a, the band, that's a lot to know, songs. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, they could have just played anything and you would have been like, yes, yes, absolutely, yes, mm. love it. So this was the origin of a song being known as a number. Ah, mm. I like it, I like mm. it. Talking of songs, we cannot leave without a full rendition of The Heart Will Go On. No, I'm joking. Um, Do you know, I would have, but my children are in bed. Uh, I didn't tell you my story about that song, did I? So, uh, it was 1997, and uh, I had just been to a, uh, a a pool party at a girl's house for my school, Amazing. and um, we were doing the slow dance, you know how you do, like awkwardly, sort mm-hmm. of like waddling around in a circle, pretending you're really grown up in your, um, in your Levi's and your, mm-hmm. your check shirt. And then I had my first kiss to that song, to this, to this, yeah, (laughs) it gets funnier. And then, um, so I was so smitten that I'd, I'd actually kissed a girl and yay, I'm not gay. Um, and, (laughs) and then I went home and put on (laughs) the Spice Girls song to become one on repeat, right? Because I was so chuffed with myself that I had kissed somebody And (laughs) I tell that story to this day. So Titanic has a fond, fond place in my heart. And um, my heart did go on and on and on and on. And it's still going on. And it's still going on. And here we are talking about the heart will go on. So, I mean, we've ended it on a a full round, I feel. Mm -hmm. Um. Paddy, that's been really interesting. Thank you again so much for for coming on and um, uh, probably teaching to a different demographic. I'm sure you wouldn't allow your students to speak to you the way that I speak. But <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Green, will you sit down and stop referring to kissing on the end of the pier? Oh, dear. Well, thank you very much for having me on. It's always a blast. And yes, let's do it again soon. Only a few hundred passengers survived the sinking, and only a handful of those are still alive to see the pictures of the ship as it is now. One of them is Eva Hart. This was Eva with her parents just three weeks before they boarded the Titanic. They were on their way to a new home in Winnipeg. They never made it. But Eva survived and still carries vivid memories of that night. We reached Eva Hart at her home in Chadwell Heath near London. Miss Hart, what was your reaction? What went through your mind when you found out that the Titanic had been found? Oh, well, of course, my immediate reaction was that I, I, just as it always has been, and I hope they would never raise the Titanic. Because to me, just as a very ordinary individual, it is my father's grave, and I would rather it were left untouched. But today's wonderful news of this tremendously scientific effort makes me realise that if that sort of skill can possibly in future do marvellous things for uh, these matters, well then of course I accept that it probably will be done. Your memories of that night must be very clear. They are indeed. Can you tell us something about what happened? Well, you know quite well what happened. The ship struck an iceberg and I, like all seven-year-old children, of course, was in bed and asleep. 
but my mother wakened me and, and my father took me, went with my mother and took me and placed me in a lifeboat and my mother and made no attempt to get in himself. But I really do owe the good fortune of my living to the fact that my mother had a tremendous premonition of disaster from the first time that she knew she was going in the Titanic. Really? And uh, she said that to say that a ship was unsinkable, which is what the whole world was saying, to say that was flying in the face of God. And she begged of my father not to go. But when we finally went, she said, well, I shall not go to bed at night in that ship. I shall sit up at night and I shall sleep in the daytime. And that's exactly what she did. That's and remarkable. so because she was wide awake, we got on deck in plenty of time to get into one of the all too few lifeboats. So I feel I owe my life to that premonition. But your father did not get in the lifeboat. Why was that? Why? Mm -hmm. Well, you know the rule of the sea, don't you? Women and children first. No man is going to take the place of a woman or child. And by the time the women and children were in that lifeboat, it was full? Absolutely. What happened then? Well, we rowed away from the ship as fast as we possibly could, of course. And then it was discovered that the boat that I was in was very much overcrowded. And so the boats were all called together and people were put one in another boat and two in another boat if there was room. And in, in that transshipment, I got separated from my mother, which was quite terrifying. You were separated from your mother? I met her the next day, of course, aboard the Carpathia. She thought that I'd been dropped in the sea when I was put over the side of the boat. And I was too terrified to know what had happened. I didn't even think about it. All I knew was that she wasn't there which was quite terrifying. What did you see as you rowed away from the ship? Did well, you all I could see was the sinking ship. Mm -hmm. It was a terribly dark night. Starlit, but no moonlight. And this tremendous ship, which didn't sink for over two hours. Horrible sight. Dreadful sight. Did you see the iceberg? Yes, I did. It was the other side of the ship from where we were, but as we rowed away um, and we looked back at the ship, we could see the iceberg, so to speak, behind it. That's the only way I can describe it. It was very large. Were you old enough to know at the time what was happening to your father? Oh, yes, of course. I was devoted to my father. I knew quite well I'd never see him again. Would you like to know now who was at fault for the disaster? Would you like to know anything more about what happened, or does it matter anymore? It doesn't matter anymore. I know what the fault was. The fault was that that ship was allowed to go to sea with too few lifeboats, and therefore those 1,513 people who died that night need not have died. And it took a disaster like that to make the Board of Trade alter their regulations, which now says, of course, that you cannot go to sea without you taking enough lifeboats for everyone. But it took a disaster like that to bring that into being. Because nothing is unsinkable. Absolutely. Miss Hart, thanks very much. Thank you very much.